Welcome back to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. I am Uncle Fine Killary Jones, and in for the vacation in KG. I am A.V. Good to see you again, Up, Looking good, feeling good, smelling good. Yes, sir. Birthday what? weekend for me, so you know I'm on a, I'm on a natural high. I see you, and yeah. you look good too, sir. Thank you, man. All right. <laughs> Now, you, 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 you grew up in this hip-hop culture. You yes, know sir. it backwards and forward. And uh, we've got a couple of folk online that are going to help us through this journey today on the podcast. I'm excited to have with us the executive director and CEO with Hip Hop Public Health, um, it's Laura Rose Benson, and, of course, the love king himself, Raheem Devon. And we've got so much great music from him. Love Don't Come Easy, Woman, You, and so many other great hits. We're excited to have both of these wonderful guests this morning. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having us on. I'm excited about this uh, brand new release, Behind the Mask. But before we get into that, uh, Laura, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, hip hop public health and just the origin of it, of this nonprofit, which was founded in 2006. So thank you so much for having us on and for supporting hip hop public health. Um, We are a nonprofit that was founded over 15 years ago in Harlem, NYC, by the iconic Dougie Fresh and Columbia Medical Center's very own Dr. Olajide Williams to really build health equity, inspire healthy behaviors, and harness the power, the transformative power of music, art, and science to do this. And what we are are all about is understanding how music and and naturally hip-hop can really impact people in a positive manner. And with hip-hop music being, you know, such a dominant genre in the United States and even the worldwide appeal, you know, when you dig deep into the root, into this genre, it's a story of resilience, uh, of metamorphosis, rising up to the social issues we face in our communities. And for us, that, that social issue that we focus on is, is health and public health. I know that you have spearheaded all aspects of preventive health and wellness, and you've worked at one of the one of my favorite places, the YMCA. And I know you came up with a lot of great creative. Yeah, I'm a product of the YMCA, and I worked with them for years. And you came up with a lot of creative methods to deal with fitness as far as our youth. Talk a little bit about that as well. Yeah, I mean, fitness and and education for our youth is so important. And you have to connect with young people in unique ways. You know, when I was with New York City YMCA's, we created a, a team fitness app called YMVP. Um, it wasn't about being a most valuable player. It was really about moderate to vigorous physical activity, but the kids thought it was really about being a superstar. And it was really to, uh, you know, collect digital badges and take on challenges using an app um, to really entice young people to learn how to be physically active and try out new activities. Because, you know, with young people, it's not like someone's going to wake up one day when they're 18 years old and say, you know, I think I want to, you know, do Pilates or learn yoga or take a, you know, take some type of individual fitness class. We need to think about how we introduce young people to a whole spectrum of activities from youth sports and fitness, but things that they can do on their own with no equipment and, and, you know, without 10 of their friends to to stay active. Laurie, this is Larry. In this uh, COVID-19 pandemic, how are you able to address your clients? You know, one of the things that we've always been able to do at Hip Hop Public Health is offer all of our resources for free on our website. 
And that became incredibly vital um, at the start and throughout this pandemic. And so on our online resource repository, we have over 140 evidence-based, culturally tailored, innovative, and, and probably most importantly for young people, fun resources that include music and music videos and comic books and even fitness workout videos that they can use anywhere, anytime, you know, especially throughout the pandemic as schools shut down and went to online learning. And now we're back in a new school year with so many schools still in a remote or blended environment. You know, we feel it, it's our responsibility to be as responsive as possible. And that's why we, you know, offer all of these resources. We communicate with our communities um, through social media, through newsletters. And, you know, we invite all of your listeners to, to learn more about us and connect with the resources that are available at hhph.org. And again, it's, it's all free, whether it's songs about healthy eating, about staying hydrated, about doing a little hype break, helping young people energize with some hip hop, um, and even all of the newer resources that really promote healthy behaviors around COVID and around the pandemic, like hand washing and mask wearing and social distancing. Public Affairs Podcast, we are talking with the Executive Director and CEO of Hip Hop Public Health, Laura Rose Benson, and the one and only, the Love King. Raheem Devon. Talk about you. <laughs> Talk about you. It's all about you. Listen, Raheem, I love this latest release, Behind the Mask, twofold, because not only are you on there doing what you've always blessed us with, the great gift that God has given you, but you've got Dougie Fresh and Daryl DMC McDaniels from Run DMC. And let's talk a little bit about the significance of Behind the Mask. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's movement music, you know, um, Something that I'm known for as well, you know, just songs to speak to, you know, intimacy and stuff of that nature. So it's it's it's, it's an honor to be part of this. You know, come on as a partner. Um, as a, it's not the first time that I work with the organization, um, and of course, you know, knowing the climate of the country and and, and the planet right now, uh, with the pandemic and with this virus, um, it's very important to use you know, um, music and, and artistry as a platform to be informative to the community about what's going on, the importance of it. And, um, you know, music is the heartbeat of our people. So um, mm-hmm. the fact that we, as as people of black and brown color, are, are, the, are the ones most affected um, by this virus, um, for what we've been told in the media, um, it's very important to get this message out. And, and so, so it was an honor, you know, humbly to, to, to be part of this. You know, he has always been um, you know, six degrees separation for me in, t- in terms of my career, actually one degree, two degree separation, uh, you know, it's been a mentor um, to me in the past, you know, first tour I ever did, he was the host of it. Um, you know, I've, I've learned from him vicariously how to host parties and just yeah. a number of other things and, and just what he stands for, just in terms of um, integrity when it comes to to music and the and quote unquote industry. And, and But more importantly, it's an initiative of, you know, the health is wealth. Um, you know, I'm trying. I'm still trying to figure out what Dougie's uh, Fountain of Youth is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. When you find that out, please let me know. 
Yeah, I would let you know, my brother. <laughs> yeah, especially in this climate, man, because we see so many people trying to go back to the norm, you know, this new norm that we're in <laughs> now. And so many people don't see the significance of wearing the mask or, you know, practicing social distance. And when we talk about trying to, you know, stop the spread of the coronavirus, talk about how important this initiative is for you. And what would you say to this generation who just doesn't see the need to wear the mask? Um, you know, whether you're youth or elder, I think it's very important to um, educate yourself on uh, on this pandemic, on this virus. You know, it's not the first time we've encountered viruses in our in our generation and in our lifetime. So I think the first thing is to, is to just you know be informative and make sure you're getting the proper information, and not just running you know with rumors or speculations or conspiracy theories or just anything. Um, I think it's safe to say that there's something going on that just isn't right. So as a precaution, educate yourself on it. Uh, know what's going on. Uh, I think that it's also no time um, like the present to use your artistry um, for, you know, for the, for not only this movement, but for a number of movements, mm-hmm. you know, um, is, is, is very important, you know. And I've always tried to just align myself um with the proper social conscious messaging, you know, so um, whether it's the, whether it's the pandemic or, you know, you're speaking to social injustice or systemic racism, you know, I have a new single as well called Marvin used to say, okay. um, which is an older Marvin Gaye, which just um, came out in the last two weeks. So, you know, you can stream that as well as the lead single off my new, new album coming soon. Uh, what a time to be in love in October. Um, you know, uh, behind the mask is a record that, um, that, that I did, you know, um, of course, with the, with the organization, right. uh, being in a great company at DMC, uh, from Run DMC, and, um, you know, my mentor, uh, you know. Uh, Doug. And when you talk about Marvin Gaye and you talk about how socially connected he was, especially with what's going on, just talk a little bit about the song, man, that you have written, because I don't want to kind of skip over that, especially, as you said, when we address the social issues in our country, the injustices that we see that's happening on a consistent basis. Just talk about your perspective, and especially when it comes to your writing, how you're speaking to this generation concerning these social injustices that are happening. Well, you know, when you talk about Behind the Mask or or, or my new single, Marvin, used to say or um you know previous records like bulletproof and um my people's uh with jazzy jeff for example it, it's it, again it's you know we are here trying to save lives man you know it's 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 about preserving the culture for me it's about saving lives it's about um fighting for what's right you know artistically you know through lyric and melodies and, and songs and um you know, everything just can't be for the edu- for the, for educate for for the entertainment. You know, what I mean, there's a you know, music is a is a is a, can also be used as edutainment. You know what I mean? And um, so I so I've always straddled the line, you know, of being entertaining, but also being educating. You know, um, educating my people and just educating the world in general. Raheem, we have some new fans who've probably not had a chance to get into all of your music. Can you give us mm-hmm. your social address, social media handles, and uh, where folk can find you so we can download your music? By all means, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Raheem underscore Devon. Um, my official Facebook fan page, facebook.com forward slash Raheem Devon. You can check out all my, my, my current lyric video for Marvin used to say. You can check out um, the Behind the Mask video as well. Um on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Raheem Devon as well. And um, all my music is on, you know, all digital platforms um, as well as, you know, uh, 
uh, YouTube and, and stuff of that nature. So, yeah, any, any digital platform, you can check out the new single, um, as well as, you know, the current the, the, the current single and initiative that we're pushing, um, you know, uh, with the foundation behind the mask, uh, featuring myself, uh, DMC from Run DMC, and uh, Dougie Fresh. Laura, you have a, a wide broom, I'll say, to sweep on when you are dealing with the hip-hop culture and basic natural safety rules. And the hip-hop culture, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, nephew, but uh, y'all have been bold, brash, right. up front with how you feel, what you think. How do you get this group that may have some conspiracy theories in the head about the whole COVID-19 pandemic, how do you get them to follow and put on the mask? You know, that is such a great question because this is this is a serious time and it's a time to really understand the facts and to, to really be good seekers of information. And that's why when we team up with the medical experts like Dr. Elijah Day Williams and and the other colleagues within our, our medical community and an advisory board. And then you couple that with the influencers, the folks that young people really are attracted to from the music world, from our hip hop R and D world. You know, when you couple that together and use very specific messaging techniques to reinforce messages, to take something and, you know, translate it from an idea to something that can become knowledge, to something that can become behavior, and then, you know, connect it with a platform like music. Uh, as I know from our founder, music occupies more real estate than language itself in our brains. So if we could use music and we can use emotive techniques to help share accurate, relevant, important information with messengers like Raheem Devon that, that young people and communities really listen to, I think we have, you know, a winning approach and and it's so important right now. We we know how dire the situation is out there for communities and we want to do everything that we can to support one another. And I think the other part of this is it's it's very emotive. And so behind the mask for us, it's it's really a love song. It's a love song from the people of New York where we're based to everyone around the world, you know, with lyrics that can bring people together. It's a message of love and unity and hope. And even though we're behind the mask, you know, I still see you. You're not invisible. We're promoting community. We're promoting neighborhood health. And we're being proactive to save the lives of our loved ones and for everyone that we come in contact with every day. And, and I think we can do this. Um, but we have to stick together and continue to support one another through this. What are some suggestions you would make, especially now with our, you know, we have a portion of children back in school. We have a, you know, a society that's really been at home and we've been putting on weight and doing all kind of stuff and not really being active. You know, what kind of fitness challenges would you suggest for parents or even going back to school that would help our youth and our young adults? Well, you know, what's what's really exciting about some of the resources that hip hop public health has developed um can be done anywhere anytime and with no equipment and using music so we would love for families to uh get hype at home and hype stands for helping young people energize and we have a, we have dozens of uh hip hop videos people can dance in their seats dance in their room dance in their yard 
um, use you know the videos that you could see on your phone, on a tablet, on a computer, and it, you don't even even have to be hip hop adjacent, you know, to get down. You can take a two minute high break, six minute one, but um, the ten minute ones are a little bit more challenging in terms of the choreo. But uh, you know, a little bit of something for everybody. I think the if families um, move together. You know, it's really inspiring to keep that habit up. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of our resources are focused on young people inspiring their family members. You know, we take a child-centered communication approach so that if we can teach young people these healthy habits and inspire their families, we can really go a long way. And, you know, when it comes to, to dancing, sometimes I feel like it's working out and it could be so much fun. Right. And, you know, you can listen to our music or you can listen to anything that just really moves you or motivates you. Now, I know you were doing your cycling classes and your crunch fitness as well. Are you, are you still active in that? Yeah, you know, that's that's my alter ego. My, my spinning instructor alter ego will have to connect one day. And, you know, this is something, this has been a journey for me. You know, something from when I was a child, you know, I come from a family that has always struggled with weight issues. And it's something that's been a personal struggle for me my whole life. And to find the activities that motivate you. You know, for some people, it could be spinning. For some people, it could be dancing. For other people, it could be skating. You know, so trying out those different activities and especially in this time during the pandemic, you know, being able to do something socially distant outdoors um, in nature, even if it's urban nature, right, is, um, is really wonderful. And so, you know, encouraging people to find the things that they love and and if it's not one thing, try something else. And uh, that's always been my experience. Laurie, it's always a good point on the podcast since we are universal and you, we can hear the passion in your heart uh, about HHPH. Where did you get your start, Laurie? How did, how did all this unfold for you? <laughs> um, well, you know, it's really funny. Uh, ironically, Dr. Williams, the founder of Hip Hop Public Health, uh, we met on the radio, literally. So I was running the New York City Department of Education's Office of School Wellness Programs, which essentially is running health education, physical education, all things wellness for New York City's 1.1 million public school students and, you know, the 1,800 schools that they go to. And we were both on this radio interview talking about what was going on in terms of the state of childhood obesity in New York City. And that was back in, I think, 2006 or 2007. And, you know, we immediately became fast friends. And Dr. Williams said, I have to find out more about this person. And I was like, I have to find out more about this doctor who's doing these incredible programs. And also, he always started from a, a research perspective. So he wasn't just, you know, creating a program and running it in schools, but he was looking at it and examining it and looking at it as an iterative you know, process of, of making it better each time and understanding the impact. So I actually joined Hip Hop Public Health Advisory Board back then. We worked together to, you know, Dr. Williams' team at Columbia to more schools in New York City. And, you know, we've stayed in touch ever since. You know, it's been wonderful. And to work with an organization that is so strength-based, that has such a backbone of research, um, deep roots, you know, in the Harlem and Washington Heights community in New York City, but has expanded nationally and globally to provide re free resources, you know, to take that barrier away from the communities that need it most and resources that are evidence-based, that are fun and that are, you know, developed by 
incredible artists, wonderful public health experts and educators, and also, you know, socially conscious, health conscious, A-list, iconic celebrities like like Dougie Fresh and Chuck D of Public Enemy and BMC. And, you know, we also work very closely with Ashanti and Jordan Sparks. And, and you know, we look forward to, uh, you know, working with other health socially conscious artists as well, because, you know, we are all in this together. We have to work together to yes. support our communities to become healthier and, and happier for the long run. We love it. This has been an awesome conversation. Give us the website again. Oh, my goodness. It's been my honor. Thank you so much. Our website is hhph.org. And for anyone who's listening, we have a virtual gala on September 22nd, and we'd love to see you there. And uh, all that information is on our, our website. Thank you so much. Thank you, Executive Director and CEO, Ms. Laura Rose Benson. Thank you. And Raheem Devon, thank you as well. Indeed. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. For everyone listening, the Public Affairs Podcast continues right after this. From your local Houston BMW Center studios, welcome back to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. I'm your host, KG Smooth. With Uncle Fonky Larry Jones and... I'm excited that you're excited about our next guest, my yeah, friend. Yeah, yeah, Crime like Stoppers of here. Houston. Yeah, so when I, uh, when Access Houston was around, our, our other community affairs show that mm-hmm. aired on 97.9 The Box and 92.1 Radio Now, um, this young lady, she was a regular on uh, the show throughout those five years that I hosted Access Houston, okay. and she is the CEO of Crime Stoppers of Houston. Rania McCurious is on the Public Affairs Podcast. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm with you guys in person, but I'll take it over the phone. I'm so happy to talk to you both. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it would be better to uh, be in person in, in order to see you. That would be uh, great. So, um, Crime Stoppers of Houston, staple in the city, uh, helps out with crime. Uh, actually, that uh, you all have um, teamed up with uh, our very own Chief Acevedo on some things. We'll talk on bail reform. Uh, we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit. But um, tell us what has been going on lately here with Crime Stoppers. Well, I'll tell you, um, 2020 has been a year unlike any year. I've been with Crime Stoppers since 2006, and I've been running it since 2013. Um, I have never seen a year like 2020. I've been telling people it's almost like our uh, Hurricane Harvey in in a sense. You know, there's just so much that a response, this response is required or just overwhelming. It's a year, and and you're you know we did we started the year discussing bail reform and misdemeanor bail reform and then felony bail reform, and then we went straight to COVID and COVID scams and and what COVID means for all these kids that are now home and and kids that you know a few days ago we would say you know don't be online all the time and now all of a sudden it's like you're going to live online you're going to just go online you're going to socialize online, um, and then we went straight into the tragic killing of George Floyd and the aftermath and what is the arguments and the narrative around defund police? What does it mean? So we've really, it, you know, had a year unlike any other. We have an incredible team that's working around the clock to listen to the community and come up with solutions. And I think that's just been a big point for us. We want to hear, we want to reflect everybody 
Um, but we don't want to just throw around comments, just throw them around. We want to offer solutions. So that's really been where we, you know, really hunker down. What services can we provide? What solutions can we offer? Indeed. Um, I'm so glad that you mentioned um, the defund the police part. Um, have you all had an opportunity or has uh, different organizations um, or groups who are talking about defund the police and what that is and what that looks like. Have they turned to you all for uh, expertise or to get your thoughts on it? Or have you all been involved with or the, or other organizations who explained what it is that they're trying to do? Because it sounds so uh, radical. Yeah, so it's a mix of both. So we've had many, many conversations with other groups, with uh, community leaders. We've done a ton of media on it. Um, and maybe most importantly, we've been appointed by Mayor Turner to sit on the task force that's reviewing, um, you know, law enforcement relationships and, and, and how law enforcement will work in the community here in Houston. And um, this has been one of the most complex, one of the most complicated mm -hmm. discussions we've had mm -hmm. because you know, while we talk about defund the police, we'll get people, look, you know, nobody's really asking to defund the police. They're, people are asking for, and, um, Hold on, uh, you know, it, you're, uh, yeah. you're breaking up. Are you some, I, I haven't moved. Can you hear okay. me? Okay. That's yeah. There we go. Okay. Go ahead. Continue. I'm so sorry. Um, we'll get people from the community that will say, well, you know, certainly nobody's really asking for law enforcement agencies to be defunded. People are asking for reform. And it's very interesting to see what's going on across the country, uh, what local elected officials are actually moving to defund local law enforcement, and to really look at what the needs are versus what some semantics are using versus what communities need. So mm -hmm. we've gotten really, you know, our hands dirty in this conversation and, and, and really tried to be proactive while, while listening and offering, you know, as I said, offering solutions. Runya, it's Larry. You mentioned earlier about scams from COVID-19. What does that look like? What kind of scams are you talking about? Oh, my goodness. We have seen so many from copycat websites. Um, websites that are completely fake, but they've stolen images from legitimate, uh, encouraging people to click and purchase and when putting in their credit card information and getting absolutely nothing. Um, last I checked, there were 800, over 800,000 copycat websites up and running um, to pretending to be um, with the health department, pretending to be with local hospitals, pretending to be with insurance companies, wanting to, quote-unquote, check for symptoms, um, come to the neighborhood to give, quote-unquote, tests. Uh, basically, they're dialing for dollars or looking for people who are willing to give personal information out. We've seen people pretending to be contact tracers. Um, I mean, the list has literally gone mm -hmm. on and on. And, and we see that whenever there's a crisis. Scammers are very quick to uh, monopolize and, and figure out how to turn it into funds for their for criminal practices. So the best defense to people about what should be asked, what shouldn't be asked, what's really being um, you know offered by the health department, what contact tracers will really ask for, what they won't ask for. The more we can spread that type of message, the more people 
will say, hey, ask this. I'm not supposed to be getting this phone call. I'm not supposed to click any links or give my health insurance information to anybody. Um, nobody should be asking for a credit card. So the more we can talk about that, I think the, the better off the community is. And we've, we've just, I mean, reached about 3,000 community members locally, but we've done media interviews uh, all over the state of Texas, but also all over the country on COVID scam. Hmm. Yeah, I, I've suffered with identity theft, so I'm, I I don't touch anything that doesn't look like or I didn't ask. It all gets deleted immediately. Yeah. Because it's, uh, it's, it's horrible. It's really horrible. Um, I'm sure you and KG will circle back around this, but this is... This is the organization that Dave Ward had a great deal to do with some 40 years ago. Is that correct? That's it. Yeah, Dave was, um, he's known to be the voice of Crime Stop early on, you know, partnered with the organization and said, let's give the media a role to play here. And they did the reenactment for really popular at the time. It's really the reason Crime Stoppers of Houston is the most person in the world. I think mm. it, it goes back to Dave Ward's involvement in the early years. And of course, he stayed deeply connected to the organization. And now um, our headquarters, the only Crime Stoppers headquarters anywhere in the world. So we're very, very proud of that and um, know that he's he's proud of it. And so uh, we always, we have a very soft spot for it. I think um, that it, it's just obvious and see the history, his history through the building and, and can visit his office. It's just he's a very special person for us. Yeah, he's one of the good guys of the city for sure. Runyon, you all have your plates full, uh, especially for this school year, whatever uh, that looks like. <laughs> one thing that you all take very seriously um, is the safety of our kids, especially in the online space and in social media. So... Um, what does safety look like for our kids online now? And, you know, h- how do our kids socialize in this era of COVID? Like, what is going to be their new norm? And, and what about their digital safety? Unfortunately, COVID has brought with it so much. Um, and one of our biggest fears is it's pushed to the forefront, something that we've been talking against for a long time. You know, kids, put your phones down, turn social media off engage face-to-face with friends who are known to you, with family, uh, Get be creative, create something. Now kids for a very long time have been, you know, not stuck at home, but safe at home, really relying fully on social media. So we've been concerned as um, they, you know, very innocently now look to the internet to do research, but may come across things that they shouldn't see or may reach out to individuals that are not safe to reach out to all in the manner of quote unquote research. Uh, We've seen kids who are bored getting on social media and sharing more than, you know, they've ever shared before because they're just so bored. They're so alone and they're looking to connect. Um, We've seen the number of social media challenges increase and the number of kids participating increase. And of course, you know, it's, it's a very hard thing for parents to navigate because now you're with your kids 24 hours a day, which, of course, is wonderful, uh, but we're not used to it. You know, they're usually with teachers or they're, you know, at a, at a sports event or out with a friend, and all of that's gone. Um, I know we're slowly getting it back. We're pushing for our kids to re- return to school, and we're hoping that that will be the case, but 
there's a lot of gray. We don't know what will really happen. So parents are doing the best they can to navigate these times. And Crime Stoppers of Houston has really worked over time to turn our safe school information um, into a virtual resource for parents and for everything we can think of um, as a way to help reach parents, help reach kids, and keep them safe proactively during these unimaginable times. So in terms of back to school, like what are the parents, what are some of the questions that parents are having about learning and safety? Well, a lot of it will be, you know, one, if kids are choosing to go back into the classroom, well, you know, of course, what does that look like? Um, But the second is for those parents, and I think a lot of parents are going to be given the option, you know, do you want to keep your kids at home and and do remote learning, or do you want to send them off to school campuses? Um, For those that will be choosing the remote learning option, does it mean? How will my kids interact with, with, uh, who will their teachers be? Is it going to be an, an entirely new team? You know, the regular teachers will now be teaching their regular school day. Um, And who are these new team of teachers? Uh, Are they known or unknown to us? What are the background requirements for these teachers, given it's all virtual? Uh, How will they engage? Are there going to be requirements that kids, you know, must be sitting at a desk when they zoom in or or dial into class? I mean, can they be sitting in a bedroom? Um, You know, there's a lot of questions for parents. And, um, you know, are there office hours? Again, what does it all look like? And we're all asking different types of questions, but at the end of the day, there's so much that's unknown, and we just want to make sure we navigate that together with the safety of our kids, just as questions around education. You know, certainly when we're remote learning successful, that kids are learning, but we also want to make sure that remote learning is safe. Um, people can't Zoom bomb or, um, you know, infiltrate access to our children, you know, the network around our kids is going to grow exponentially. And and those are the things parents are worried about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, tell us about um, you all teaming up with uh, Chief Acevedo for uh, bail reform. What, what, what was you, what was going on with that? So, I mean, I wish this was something that more people were following in terms of, you know, you ask the average person and they're, they, they're not following it at all. And I'm so thankful to you for asking about it. Um, misdemeanor bail reform was something that everybody agreed with. The idea that, you know, if you commit a, a, a first offense, it's a low-level misdemeanor crime, mm-hmm. you should not be held, mm-hmm. uh, you know, behind bars awaiting any type of sentencing or any type of trial. It's just ridiculous. Because You've you don't have be, the money, right. Yeah, because you don't have the money. It's wrong. People lose their jobs. Sandra um, Bland would still actually, be alive if it wasn't for how bail reform used to be. Exactly. So these are really important reform issues. And I don't, I mean, I'm sure people disagree, but that wasn't the majority. The overwhelming majority of people in this space said absolutely hands down misdemeanor, low-level offenses. These people should not be held. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem became when you looked at felony crimes and not just felony crimes, but when you found yourself dealing with habitual repeat violent felony offenders. And Mm -hmm. what we were finding was that these people would be arrested and they'd go before a judge or a magistrate would be released on either no bond, a PR bond, or like $10 or $100. Um, And the community was saying, wait a minute, 
you know, the notion of misdemeanor bond reform, everybody agreed with. But when you get to these felony cases, and again, not just even regular felony, we're talking about habitual, mm-hmm. violent, yeah. repetitive yeah. offenders. Big assessment. This is not about money, who has what money, who doesn't have money. It's not, not about um, male or female. It's not about skin color, ethnicity. It is about society. We let this person out. What is the likelihood that they're going to repeat the offense or even, the, you know, the offense will escalate? Mm-hmm. Um, and that risk assessment was not being done. Well, no, we don't want to really hold people on any type of bail, so we're going to let you out. Um, and we were seeing crimes escalating. And, and the statistics were there. Everybody was watching it. And the bigger issue, honestly, was not just our crimes escalating, but you have some of these cases where you're dealing with domestic violence, where the last hope for some of these families is that the offender is arrested and yet they'd be let right back out right. to that they offended. And we saw people lives. Um, but we also saw communities that, you know, really were to rid local neighborhoods of these violent, repetitive, habitual offenders, and nobody's helping them. And so it, it became a very complex issue. Yeah. Joined Chief Art Acevedo and a lot of law enforcement to talk about. Who's responsible for letting these people out or keeping them in? Is this a judge or because I, I don't really know how that system works. It, and I'm, again, so glad you're asking because we'll, we'll talk to people and they say, well, how, why is law enforcement releasing them? Or why is the DA releasing them? Or why is it? Law? And it's, it's really, um, you know, we're studying them case by case. But what we're finding overwhelmingly is that the judges or the magistrates who have the ultimate decision, I mean, the DA can push for a high bond. We saw many cases where the DA did ask for a high bond dealing, again, with felony, habitual, repeat, violent felony offenders. And the judge would just say, no, no, we're not doing anything. They're going to go out on a PR bond, maybe $10. If you were following this, you saw Governor Abbott issue an executive order along the lines that, you know, judges shouldn't do that. At least they can't issue a PR bond when you're dealing with a violent felony offender. Um, So judges or magistrates sort of circled back and said, all right, $10, you know, we'll just pay $10 and you can go. Um, And, you know, it's just, I agree with Chief Art. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm, no, no. I, I, forgive me. Can we vote these people out? I mean, are these are these appointed judges? Do they have to run? Well, funny that you the say that. The judges run. Yeah, the, yeah, judges, the judges run. run. But when the 19 black judges got elected here in Houston in 2018, mm-hmm. um, now what they want to do up in Austin is now have them appoint judges instead of us electing for them. Now, Couldn't be because totally, they were brown, could it? Oh, I mean, it was working totally fine all, all up until 19 black uh, judges got in. And now yeah. you want to say, let's not elect them. Let's appoint them hmm. the same way they do in Washington. But okay. it goes to the point of why the community needs to, you know, I can't tell you how many people say, gosh, it's horrible, but it doesn't really apply to me. I'm not going to get her. I'm never going to be before a judge. I don't know. None of this stuff really applies to me, but it, it's got to apply, you know. I don't care if none of us are ever going to be in front of a judge. We have to care about mm-hmm. these judges, how they're voted in. The, yeah. ma- the, the magistrates are appointed at this point. We and their record. About what, yeah, we have to. We have to because the effects of it affect us all. And for Austin, you know, discussions out of Austin to maybe switch the way judges are brought in, whether, you know, voted in or appointed. I mean, the average 
average person that you ever think you're going to be in front of the, a judge, you need to care about these issues because they actually affect the mm. absolute quality of all of our lives. I don't care where you live, what, what bubble you think you're in. I don't care what community you're in. And, you know, the other thing, too, is we have to care about each other. We have to care about communities in need. We have to care about kids who want to feel safe walking to school, families who deal with family violence. Um, we have to even care about these criminals, like the suspects themselves. We don't want to set them up for failure. You know, I'm a huge proponent of being tough on crime, especially when you're dealing with violent, habitual, repetitive felony offenders. But I'm also equally vocal about what do we do once we've arrested these people? They've been found guilty. I don't believe in just throwing people into prison and, and throwing away a key. We've got to invest in these people. We've got to figure out how to break the cycle. We've got to make sure that they are not just serving sentences endlessly, that there's got to be a hope to get out. There's got to be a plan for them to have a job, to be integrated back into society, to be contributing to society. The system needs to be fixed on every level. But I also think we're smart enough to do it. We're in a very tricky, very tricky position. Listen here, Runya, we have went way over time. Oh my God, we'll have to uh, continue this. Say that you'll come back. We know that uh, Crime Stoppers is Crime Stoppers of Houston celebrating its 40th year anniversary in October. So uh, let's set it up for you all to come back on and uh, us catch up some more, continue and and celebrate the 40 that you all will be uh, having. Thank you so much. I look forward to it. Thank you guys for having me. Oh, no, thank oh, I, you. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It was, <laughs> Roger is the CEO <laughs> of Crime Stoppers of Houston. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to the Public Affairs Podcast. We'll see you next week.